Today I want to talk to you about what I believe is the very best thing about Christianity. And it's simply the fact that we are saved by grace. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, Paul said, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not, he says, it is not a reward for the good things we have done. And I think this is the greatest, the most exciting, the most exhilarating truth in the Bible. The fact that we don't have to try to kill ourselves doing the impossible. Trying to be good enough to earn heaven. But as great and as wonderful and as exciting as this truth is, it can be kind of a hard idea to embrace for three reasons. First of all, we're accustomed to earning the good things we get in life. For example, I have a college degree, but the good people at St. Louis Christian College didn't give it to me because I'm so handsome, (laughs) or because I'm such a nice guy. Uh, They expected me to go to class. They expected me to do my homework, to write the papers, to make the grades. Can you imagine? They expected me to earn that degree. If you have a job in some workplace where promotions are a possibility, you understand they're not just going to give you a promotion or a big raise for no reason. They're going to expect you to work hard and earn it. A few years ago, I spoke... Uh, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at their chapel service. And after the service was over, the chaplain of the Bucks took Marilyn and I on a tour of uh, the facility there. It's called One Buck Place. And it's a beautiful facility. But at one point, we walked into this big room, 7,000 square feet of nothing but weight machines, treadmills, exercise equipment. And hanging from the ceiling was a big, banner. It was huge. And it said, you get what you deserve. You got all these NFL players, they're pushing themselves, they're working, they're building their bodies, and they're looking at this banner all the time they're doing it. And they're being reminded that when they get out on the field on Sunday afternoon, nobody's going to give them anything. They have to earn the victory. They get what they deserve. The Bible says it this way. You reap what you sow. Right? See, that's what we're used to. That's what we live with every day in this world. And that's why it's kind of hard to grasp this idea of something being given to us for free that we don't have to earn. A second reason why it's hard for us to think of salvation as a free gift that cannot be earned is because in our culture there is a stigma attached to people who don't earn what they get. Take the boss's son-in-law, for example, who gets to be the vice president of the company. He gets the big salary. He gets the corner office. Because he's the most qualified? Or because he just happened to marry the boss's daughter? Well, I will guarantee you that everybody in that company who's more qualified and who works harder will bear some resentment toward the boss's son-in-law 
because he got the big pay and the big office and the big position without being as qualified, without earning it. There is within most of us a sense of justice about who gets what in life. And that sense of justice is violated when we see people getting what they have not earned. This is why almost nobody celebrated when Barry Bonds broke Hank Aaron's home run record. Because everybody knows that Barry Bonds used steroids, that he bulked up, and that he didn't earn those home runs the way Hank Aaron did. And that's why to this very day, Hank Aaron is universally celebrated throughout the baseball world. Barry Bonds isn't. Because he didn't get, he didn't earn those home runs the way Hank Aaron did. We want people to earn what they get. A third reason why it's hard for us to think about salvation as a free gift that you don't have to earn is because the very idea is illogical. It it really makes no sense to think about the gates of heaven being opened wide to admit people who haven't earned the right to be there. Think about Jeffrey Dahmer, for example. In case you don't remember, Jeffrey Dahmer was a serial killer and a sex offender who murdered 17 men and boys between 1978 and 1991. And what made him particularly uh, notorious was that he dismembered and ate his victims. Well, if you go to heaven when you die, and you sit down at that big celebration feast that we're told about in Revelation 19, you need to understand that your seat at that table just might be right next to Jeffrey Dahmer. Because he reportedly became a Christian in prison. A a Christian pastor by the name of Roy Ratcliffe started meeting with him in prison. They started studying the Bible together, and Roy Ratcliffe baptized Jeffrey Dahmer into Christ just a few weeks before Jeffrey Dahmer was murdered in prison by another inmate. So imagine this guy who spent his whole life terrorizing and killing and eating people. Imagine him walking those streets of gold and enjoying all the blessings and privileges of heaven that you and I have been looking forward to for so many years. And here we've behaved ourselves, we've obeyed the rules, we've gone to church, we've served the Lord, we've made sacrifices of time and money, some of us for many, many years. But this guy lived like a monster He killed people, he ate people, and he's going to enjoy all the blessings and privileges of heaven that we get to enjoy. That's not not logical, is it? It just doesn't make sense that that should be the case. And yet it is the case. Paul says we are saved by grace. You, me, Jeffrey Dahmer, everybody. Completely a gift of God that has nothing to do with works. All you have to do is accept that gift by making Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior. And, of course, living in a relationship with Him. You don't have to pay a fee. You don't have to pass a test. You don't have to take a class. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to provide references. You don't have to go through an initiation. You don't have to be able to quote a single verse of Scripture. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? 
We're saved by grace. The greatest thing about Christianity. And it leads me to say two things. First of all, since grace is so great, we ought to be enjoying it more. There's an old story about a group of people, about 12 people that were flying on a private plane across the country. About halfway to their destination, the pilot came over the intercom and said, well, I've got good news and bad news. The bad news is we've got engine trouble and we're going to crash. But the good news is we've got parachutes for everybody. And so the captain came back and he helped everybody, you know, get into their parachute, helped them strap it on, showed them how to deploy it after they jumped out of the plane. As they were doing this, one lady raised her hand and said, "Um, I have a question. She said, do you have any parachutes in a different color? Because this one doesn't go with my outfit. (laughs) Another guy raised his hand and said, well, I have a question. I have some stuff down in my suitcase in the cargo hold, and I don't want to jump out of this plane without that stuff. Is there any way I can get down there and get it? And another guy raised his hand and said, well, I have a question. I want to know about these parachutes. If you're expecting us to jump out of this plane with a parachute, I want to know if it's a top-of-the-line parachute or if you've got these things on sale somewhere. And suddenly everybody's talking, everybody has a question, a complaint, a concern, and the pilot finally throws up his hands and says, Stop it! What's the matter with you people? I just gave you a parachute. It's going to save your life. Why can't you just be happy? And I think that's a pretty good illustration of what happens with a lot of Christians. We've been given this amazing life-saving gift, but the way we worry and whine and complain and gripe about everything, you'd think we didn't have any hope at all. Listen to these words from David Siemens, who's a noted Christian counselor. He passed away a few years ago, but he's written some great stuff. He says, I'm driven to the conclusion that the major cause of most emotional problems among Christians is the failure to live out God's unconditional grace and forgiveness. We read, we hear, and we believe a good theology of grace, but we don't live it. Apparently, the gospel of grace has not penetrated to the level of our emotions. And I just think he's right on target with that statement. Theologically, we understand grace. We can talk about it, we can teach it, but we don't enjoy it. And I wonder sometimes if that doesn't get on God's nerves. Not that he doesn't understand our weakness, because he does. And not that he isn't patient with us, because he is. But sometimes I wonder when we're griping and complaining and whining and bellyaching, I wonder if God doesn't sometimes just want to say what that pilot said. It's like, stop it! What's the matter with you people? I give you grace. It's going to save your life. Why can't you just be happy? There's an old hymn I love. Grew up singing it in church. At Calvary. The chorus of that song says, Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. 
And I love that, that third line. There my burdened soul found liberty. Let me tell you something. When you accept Christ and you receive the gift of grace, free, not because you've done anything to earn it, but because it was given to you as a free gift, from that point on, your whole attitude toward life ought to be shaped by the fact that God's grace is greater than any sin you've committed. God's grace is greater than any weakness you have. God's grace is greater than any problem you have. It ought to be shown on your face. And I'm not saying that you ought to go around giggling and squiggling and squealing all the time like a little kid. People would think you were weird if you did that. But if you're saved by God's grace as a free gift without you having to do anything to earn it, it ought to affect how you see life. You ought to have a hard time wiping that smile off your face. Listen, grace is not just for judgment day. Grace is for today. We ought to be enjoying it more. Secondly, since grace is so great, we ought to be sharing it more. In Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace, that's a great book, by the way, he tells the story of a prostitute who lived on the streets of Chicago and rented her daughter out to strange men for sex. She had a drug habit that she needed to support, and she learned that she could make more money off of her daughter in an hour than she could make working herself an entire night. One day, sick and completely broken, she wandered into a shelter. And there happened to be a Christian minister working there that night. And so he sat down with her and they began to talk and she told him her story. And of course, it was horrifying for him to hear. But at one point in the conversation, he said to her, have you ever thought about going to a church for help? And she scoffed and said, why would I do that? I already feel bad enough about myself. They'd only make me feel worse. Boy, that stings, doesn't it? And it makes us want to argue. It does me. It makes me want to say, wait a minute, that's not right. That's not true. We wouldn't do that to people. but I'm afraid many times we do do that to people. People with struggles. People who are hurting. We come on with our self-righteous attitude, condemnation, criticism, make them feel worse. I'll never forget the Sunday morning, I was, I don't know where I was in the building, somewhere here, and somebody came and found me and said, hey, there's somebody in the lobby that wants to meet you. And I said, okay. So I walked out here, and there was a young woman standing out here, 30-ish, maybe. And I had never seen her before, didn't know who she was. She said, are you the senior pastor? I said, yes. She said, could I speak to you for a couple of minutes? I have a question I want to ask you in private. I said, okay. So we walked back to my office and stepped inside, and I closed the door. 
I said, what can I do for you? She said, I just have one question I want to ask you. She said, I'm gay, and I want to know if I'll be welcome if I attend this church. She said, I've been to other churches, and everything goes fine until people find out I'm gay. And then once they find out I'm gay, I'm not welcome anymore. They tell me I'm a sinner, and I need to leave. She said, so before I waste any time here, I want you just to tell me, straight up, will I be welcome? You talk about getting right to the point. That young woman got right to the point. I'll tell you what I told her. I said, um, well, what you've done this morning is you've wandered into a church full of sinners. And I said, when you walk out here in these hallways, every person you see is a sinner. And I said, if we didn't welcome sinners into this church, there wouldn't be anybody here this morning. I said, so I believe you'll be welcome here. If there's one thing I know, it's that we who have received so much grace from God can be very stingy when it comes to sharing it with others. The Barna Group which is a research organization that studies churches and their impact on culture, has determined that 37% of the people who don't go to church used to go to church, but they quit because they felt abused in some way by the church. And I want you to let that soak in for a second. That is a powerful truth. Think of all the people out there that don't go to church. There's a lot of them. Like 37%, almost 40% of those people used to go to church. But they quit. Because they felt abused by the church. When this building was under construction, there was a period of time during the construction when it was designated as a hard hat area. And there was a sign posted out front that if you came onto the property, you needed to be wearing a hard hat. And uh, it was during that period that um, one of my friends, preacher friends from up north, was in town on vacation. And he called me up and he said, hey, Mark, I hear you're building a building. I want to come by and see it. And I said, okay. So I picked him up, and we pulled up out here on the construction site right in front of the building, right in front of the sign. There was the sign. It said, if you're going to come on this property, you've got to wear a hard hat. So we got out of the car, and my friend started laughing. And he said, hey, see that sign right there? He said, you ought to leave that sign up even after the building is finished. He said, every church in America ought to have that sign in front of it as a warning. And we both chuckled at the joke. But we both knew there was an uncomfortable amount of truth in it. I tell you, you can get hurt at church. You can get hurt 
and it's shameful. It is shameful that people who have been given so much grace would be so unkind, so gossipy, so critical. We who have been given so much grace ought to be the most gracious people in the world. I want to close this message by reading to you an excerpt from a book. The book is called Proof. Um, Daniel Montgomery and Timothy Paul Jones are the authors. And I have edited this to shorten it a little bit. So if you ever read this in the book, you'll notice that it's quite a bit shorter, my version is. But just for, just for length, I've edited it. Listen to the story. Our middle daughter had been previously adopted by another family. Unfortunately, they never quite integrated their adopted child into their family of biological children. After a couple of rough years, they dissolved the adoption, and we ended up welcoming that eight-year-old girl into our home. For some reason, whenever our daughter's previous family vacationed at Disney World, they took their biological children with them, but they left their adopted daughter with a family friend. In the child's mind, this was punishment for her not being their real daughter. And so by the time we adopted the girl, she had seen many pictures of Disney World, and she had heard about the rides and the characters and the parades, but she had never been there. When I found out about this, I made plans to take our family to Disney World. A couple of days before our family headed to Florida, our daughter got into some trouble. So I pulled her onto my lap to talk to her about her behavior. I know what you're going to do, she said. You're going to leave me home from Disney World because I was bad. I'm embarrassed to admit it, but at that moment I was tempted to turn her fear to my advantage. I almost said, you're right. If you don't start behaving better, we won't take you. But by God's grace, I didn't. Instead, I said, this trip is something we're doing as a family. Are you a part of our family? She nodded. Then you're going with us. There may be some consequences for your bad behavior if you don't start acting better, but you're a part of our family, and we're not leaving you behind. And so we headed to Disney World, and it was everything we expected. Overpriced tickets, overpriced meals. <laughs> Lots of long lines mingled with just enough manufactured magic to consider maybe going again someday. In our hotel room that evening, my daughter was exhausted. When bedtime rolled around, I prayed with her, held her, and asked, So how was your first day at Disney World? She snuggled close to me and thought for a moment. Then she said, Daddy, I finally got to go to Disney World. 
but it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. And that is grace. We are saved. We are blessed. In ways that we can't even fathom. But not because we're good. It's because we're God's. That is the very best thing about being a Christian. We'd ought to enjoy that more. And we ought to share it more. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we can only humbly thank you for your grace. Lord, it seems almost too good to be true that you would be so kind to us in spite of our failures. But we know it's true because we have your word on it. Lord, from this day forward, help us to enjoy your grace more, more than we ever have in the past, and to share it with each other. And with those in the world who are hurting and troubled, and who so desperately need to hear this good news. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.